um, the opening of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. Um, and those of you who are gold star students, uh, I'd like you to also open up and hold to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start out in Matthew and then and work our way into, into 2 Corinthians. Now, um, I, uh, I didn't put out for us this week on social media uh, to let you know what topic I was going to be addressing because I didn't want to scare anybody away. Um, I didn't want anyone to be scared away by my topic today, uh, but I'm going to be covering the topic of forgiveness. I'm going to be covering the topic of forgiveness, one that is probably one of the most difficult topics in, in the Bible to address because it is one of the hardest things to walk through and process in the life of a believer. You know, per, perhaps of all of the things to do in life, the most unnatural thing to do is to forgive. The most unnatural. In fact, for most people, it is abnormal to forgive. It is so foreign to us that we often find it impossible or nearly impossible to, uh, to do, to forgive. In fact, um, statistically speaking, church, uh, I'm not pointing out any one single person in here, but statistically speaking, most people sitting in this room right now are more than likely harboring some sort of unforgiveness towards another person. From a statistical standpoint, unforgiveness, church, is not going to come to the screen for you, but I want you to, to, to take note of this. I want you to tattoo this upon your, your hearts and your minds this morning. Unforgiveness is like poison for the soul. Unforgiveness is like poison for the soul. If we could view unforgiveness the way that God does, I believe um, and I, I would bet that many of our lives would be drastically and dramatically changed forever. But the reality is, is that nothing characterizes the new nature of a Christian as much as forgiveness does. Why? Because nothing characterizes the nature of God more than forgiveness. Christ himself, I was, I was talking with the prayer team this morning, Christ himself had been mocked and beaten. He was unrecognizable and placed upon a cross. And in his last breaths, he cried out ten words, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. As I think about forgiveness, I cannot help but be disturbed in my spirit to know that after all of the torment that he endured, Christ was begging forgiveness for his tormentors before he died. And yet, at times, we as believers struggle to even talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness was on, on the lips of our Savior as he died, and we avoided it at all costs, like it's the black plague. I want us to understand something, though, before we even begin to read from the Word of God. There's been a miss conception with this portion of scripture that I'm about to read, this, this parable. And most of the times in churches, this parable has been taught that it is, the, is on the topic of salvation, and it is not. This, this parable that we are about to read is actually one that deals with forgiveness between people, more specifically, forgiveness between Christians. And it's perhaps, in, in my opinion, it's perhaps the most soul-searching portion of scripture that Jesus ever taught on. 
This parable, like so many others, is in a response to a question that Jesus was asked. It was a, it was a response. And the question is really unique for several reasons. Uh, first and foremost, the timing of this question. The timing. You know, Jesus, uh, just prior to this, had been dealing with how we as believers are to handle conflict with other people. Because how do we handle conflict with other people? Like, what do you do when someone sins against you? How are you and I to deal with it? That's what Jesus was just teaching on. The second thing, though, is who actually asks the question of Jesus? Now, for any of you who've been in, in church any length of time, you already know who asks this question. And, and it's, it's the disciple who likes to run his mouth, Peter. It's the one, how many of you have ever put your foot in your mouth before? Like, oh, I should not have said that, but it already came out. Yeah, that's Peter. That's Peter, right? But there's something very unique about, you're like, Pastor, why is it unique that Peter's the one who asks the question? Well, because Peter was the oldest of the disciples. As I began to think about this, I'm like, man, Peter's the oldest. You would think the older you get, the wiser you become, right? Yeah, not Peter. Not at this point. Peter is the example uh, of the one who, and I'll use this word as graciously as possible, seasoned, uh, senior, and I don't, I don't mean um, because you get the discounted coffee, um, the, the one who is up there in age, um, I like to call those people the, the, the se se senior saints, the senior saints, right? Peter is the oldest out of all of the disciples, and he's the picture to us that even as you progress in age, you still struggle with forgiveness in this life. It does not matter if you are 15 or 75, you can still struggle in forgiving other people. Now, aside from, aside from the question that was asked and the person who asked it, the third thing is, is in this question is that every single person wants to know the answer to this question. Every person, how many times do I have to forgive? How many times? How many times do I have to let that person do the same thing over and over and over again, and I still have to forgive them? How many times? To me, it's what I'm, I call the, the big question of Scripture. So if you're with me in Matthew chapter 18... I want to read starting in verse 21. And Peter came up. I love Peter. Peter came up and, and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who has wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment be made. And so the servant fell at his knees, imploring with him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
and he refused and went and put him in jail until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to do us to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother with your heart. Church, there is something vital about this parable as it pertains to salvation and forgiveness. Uh, We must not forget in this portion of scripture, it's going to come to the screen, forgiveness is not the plan of salvation, it is the proof of salvation. Forgiveness is not the plan of salvation, it is the proof of salvation. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. And when it comes to forgiveness, it is the virtue that most of us enjoy forgiveness. Do you guys enjoy being forgiven? All two of you, great. Let's try that again. Uh, How many of you enjoy being forgiven? Right. If your hand didn't go up, then we need to have a conversation after church today. Every one of us, every one of us enjoys forgiveness. But do you know out of all of the Christian virtues, it's the least that we employ? Forgiveness? We all love to be forgiven, and we expect it, but when it all reality comes down, it is often something that we do not mind resisting granting to other people. We don't want to give it out. We're like Jonah. We want all of God's grace and mercy to ourselves, but we don't want to give it out to anybody else. Forgiveness, church, is the key component to having true unity inside the church, and it is critical for every meaningful relationship that we have and we will have in this life in the future. Meaning that we have to learn to forgive. Why? Because we ourselves are going to need forgiveness from other people. It is the very heart of God to forgive. And we radiate God's very image when we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness is so basic to the heart of God that it should be so basic to the heart of every one of God's children. Someone once told me that we as believers are never more like God than when we forgive and we are never less like God than when we choose not to. We are never more like God than when we forgive. We are never less like God than when we choose not to. And so the big question from Peter, how how many times, Lord, receives an answer? And Jesus begins to help us understand the importance of forgiveness. And so the first thing I need us to see in the text is that unforgiveness has devastating and life-altering consequences. Unforgiveness has devastating and life-altering consequences. You know, Peter's question sounds simple. Look back at verse 21. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
You know, in light of what Jesus said previously in the passage about unity, Peter hoped to sound extremely loving by even suggesting to Jesus that we forgive a repentant brother or sister up to seven times. You want to know what the unique thing about Jesus' culture was? The Jewish rabbis taught that you only had to forgive the same person three times. There was a teaching that they would have been taught. And so Peter's like, I'm being generous. I will forgive that same person seven times. Look at me. He's like, I'm trying to impress my master right here. I'll forgive that guy seven times. But Jesus' answer was one that was unexpected. He came back and he says, we are to forgive the repentant an unlimited number of times. Now, before you, before you jump, all right, and you're like, well, my version says it's 70 times 7, so that is a number. Or my version says 77 times, right? I, I just need to explain something for a moment. The idea that Jesus was trying to communicate is one that is unlimited. One that is unlimited. You know, wouldn't it be strange if Jesus said, hey, I want you to keep count of every offense against another person up to 490 times. And once they, fit, they hit 491, stop forgiving them. Just stop. Just don't, don't even do it. As soon as I hit this number, you no longer have to follow my word. That would be strange, church. That would, be, that would not even be Christ-like character. We sit here and we read portions of scripture. Listen, I have to just be extremely honest with you this morning. For those of you in here who know me maybe a little bit better uh, than others, I'm a very meticulous individual. Um, I'm one who um, I I have a tendency to to overthink things. I have a tendency to read too much um, into things. Um, The Lord's still working on me. Okay, I'm still here. Um, so he's not done with me yet. Um, I see some of you guys kind of smiling at me as I'm, I'm saying some of this. Um, my, my entire childhood, whenever I heard this portion of Scripture, um, whenever I heard this portion of Scripture, my mind immediately went to that very thought. Um, my mind went to the thought that if this person hurts me 490 times, I don't have to forgive them when it gets to 491. In fact, so much so that when I became a teenager, I began to keep a record mentally of all of the wrongdoings of every person that had hurt me. Everything that they had said, everything that they had done, because there was some part of me that wanted to be justified when I got to 491 and saying, Hi, I forgave you 490 times and I'm not doing it anymore. I wanted to be justified in my approach. I wanted to twist the scripture and manipulate it into into fitting into my brain the way that I wanted it to happen. I didn't want to have to forgive that person that did the same thing over and over and over again to me an unlimited number of times. And if you're sitting in here and you've somehow figured out the cure for just walking away and just dropping it like that and forgiving, please come and see me after the service because I want to know where where you learned it. Man, every one of us in here struggles in the process of forgiving somebody that's hurt us. Every single one of us has asked that question. 
whether we've done it vocally or we've thought it in our mind. How many times, Lord? How many times? But why? Why would Peter even ask the question? I mean, it had to be more than curiosity. There's no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, there had to have been some burning issue in Peter's heart with somebody else. Maybe Peter was, was harboring a spirit of unforgiveness. And really, church, before we, before we can even move forward with forgiveness, we have to understand what unforgiveness looks like and what it even does to us. What it even does to our lives. I mean, I mean, it would be really easy to sit here in church and look all spiritual and yet be harboring a spirit of unforgiveness. So now if you, you have your Bibles and you've been holding that place, listen, someone pointed out that I actually don't give out gold stars uh, to those who, who are gold star students. And so um, I, I want you to know that maybe one day um, I'll, I'll throw gold stars out from the stage. I don't know. Um, if you have your Bible, please turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want us to look at a portion of Scripture that I, I believe Paul unpacks beautifully about what unforgiveness does to man. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. And he says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have rejoiced or made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused you pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote you, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. I want you to underline that if you have a physical Bible. Obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, or in some versions, his, his, his weapons or his schemes. So church, I want you to write this down. Unforgiveness allows Satan direct access to your heart. Unforgiveness allows Satan direct access to your heart. The weight of unforgiveness and the pain of unforgiveness opens your heart for Satan to come in and take a foothold. It becomes a beachhead where he's able to launch all of his attacks from. You know, the, the Bible clearly warns the believer to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant. 
You know, that, that word devices or, or, or schemes or weapons in some versions, that word means purpose. Do not be ignorant of Satan's purposes in your life. You know, it's the devil's number one target and goal to access the heart of a believer and to do as much damage as possible so that you and I will be hindered from becoming the person that God wants us to be. We will, we will become hindered from becoming free from the bondage that unforgiveness creates in the heart of man. Church, Christian, friend in here this morning. Unforgiveness destroys everything. It destroys everything. When we harbor unforgiveness, we are giving the devil the advantage to implement his will and ways into our life. And to bring us back into the very bondage that Christ died to set us free from. What's sad is that in unforgiveness we end up being chained to our past. In unforgiveness we end up being chained to the person who caused the hurt to begin with. It affects every single relationship moving forward. And so I also want you to write down that unforgiveness destroys relationships. It destroys relationships. You know, as Paul pointed out in verse number 7, not forgiving someone causes us to swallow them up or, or causes us to drown that individual. I want you to look up here for just a moment. The reality is this morning... We may, be, we may be here hurt because of the actions or the words of somebody else. And our reality may cause us to want to see that person quote-unquote drowned the way that Paul talks about. The reality in our heart is that we may want that person swallowed up. But Paul is, is saying to the Christian this morning, that is a device of the devil. You're doing the devil's work when you allow them to be swallowed up in your thoughts and, and with your own actions. We may be here right now, this morning, and we may be so overwhelmed at what another person has done to us that we feel like we can never let them off the hook. We feel like, I want them to feel the pain that I'm feeling. We want them to endure the same conflict that they, they did to you or, or to your spouse or to your kids. We may be so overwhelmed that we don't even know where we should go from here. Where do we turn? What even happens in this life? How come I feel distant from God? How come I feel like my relationships are strained? Church, 
the scariest reality when we hold unforgiveness towards someone is the fact that Jesus said that we were to forgive others of their trespasses. And your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of your trespasses, then your heavenly Father won't forgive you. He won't forgive you. Imagine standing before God one day and he asks about that situation or the multiple situations in which somebody inflicted pain in your life and you said, they never apologized. They kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then he, he recalls to your mind Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Christian, forgiveness is required for every one of us who has been forgiven by God. We don't have the luxury in this life of holding on to bitterness towards other people. In fact, when Jesus made that statement about forgiving others and God will forgive us, in Matthew chapter 6, he was focusing on the imperative on, on, of, of forgiveness, saying that it was not an option for you to not forgive. Our, our, our eyes have been opened to the enormity of our offense against God. And when that occurs, the injuries in which other people have done to us appear by comparison extremely trivial. When you begin to think about what people have done compared to what I have done to Christ himself. Why he had to hang on the cross for me. When I continually sin against him. Man, when we think back about how our sinfulness caused the torment and torture of our Savior. The things that people do and say to us become very trivial. Every time we hold unforgiveness in this life, our relationship and fellowship with God is always going to be affected. For harboring unforgiveness, we are out of fellowship with God. And when we are out of fellowship with God, we forfeit the blessing of Him. We forfeit the blessings that come from being one of His children. When we harbor unforgiveness, church, our prayer life is affected. And we're unable to experience the joy of fellowship the way that God intended it to be. In fact, what typically happens in our life, when we, when we harbor unforgiveness, we have a tendency to keep people at arm's length. It's what, what I would call stiff-arming people. 
right? The Christian life is not like the game of football. It's good to stiff-arm people in football, but in the Christian life, it's not. When we, we stiff-arm people, we're not following through with fellowship the way that God intended it to be. And so we have to stop stiff-arming people. You know what else occurs when we harbor unforgiveness? We try to have a front, a facade that we cover up, right? So many church people put on a front. We don't, we don't want to let people know that we're hurting. We don't want to let people know that we have problems or that we need help with something. You know, we don't want people getting close enough to us that they see our imperfections. We, we give a handshake and a smile to people and we think that that's going to be just fine, but how sad is that? Someone hurt you and, and upset you and now you're stiff-arming and, and you're pretending with everybody else. You've determined that you're never going to allow someone to get close enough to you again. You, you've told yourself that I'm never going to trust somebody again because you've been hurt so, so deeply. You've told yourself that you're good and that you don't need anybody. When you know that's not the way that God wanted us to live. When you hold on forgiveness, you have a tendency to find it easier to be humorous than honest. Right? There's nothing wrong with laughing. I love, I love laughing. But I'm talking about how so many people employ humor or sarcasm to remove the seriousness or the, the sensitivity of a situation. I joke around often and I tell people that sarcasm is, is my spiritual gift. Right? It's, it's my spiritual gift. I, I love being sarcastic with people. And I, I know there's a handful of people in this room love to do it back. The saddest part about that is that there's an attempt to lighten the mood and move away from a problem. Unforgiveness allows Satan a direct access to your heart. It destroys relationships. I just want to be real honest with you this morning. We've, my family and I have been here for, I don't know, probably close to two years, a little bit less than two years. And over the last amount of time that I've been here as the pastor, there have been some situations that have occurred and transpired here in this church. Things that have, have occurred that my family's name and reputation has been slandered here in this community by people that I trusted 
by people that were very close. And in the midst of, of walking through that as a family, in the midst of having to explain to our kids why people do the things that they do, just being brutally honest with you this morning, I have struggled with this very topic These very things that I'm sharing with you this morning are the exact things that the Lord has been doing in my life. I've kept people at arm's length. I've at times put up a facade so that you guys didn't see... And I have a tendency to be more sad, way more sarcastic than I really need to be. Church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I stand before you every single Sunday and I I point you in the direction that you need to go and there's an area of scripture in which I struggle and have struggled with for months and months and months in my life. And up until this point, I've, I've felt very hypocritical and I wanted to say that I'm sorry to you. As a church body, I love you more than anything in this world. And I ask of you to please forgive me for any time, any time in this. Thanks, Rick. Any time where, where I have I've put up a facade in front of you. Any time when, when I have used sarcasm in my conversation. I apologize to you and I love you. And I ask you to please forgive me because I don't want to be a pastor who can't walk through the very things that Christ is calling us to and then ask you to do the same thing and not do it with you. Unforgiveness destroys relationships, church. It allows Satan access to our heart, but it also destroys and damages our testimony. You know, as Christians, we, we have experienced the life-changing grace of God, and we've each been forgiven in this life. And the result is, is that we as believers should reflect the same forgiveness into the lives of other people. When we fail to forgive the people that have hurt us, we point people away from Christ. We're leading people into the hands of Satan when we choose not to display forgiveness. And I think that's what Paul was trying to drive home here in this portion of Scripture. Especially the statement in number 9 when he says being obedient in all things. Being obedient in all things means that as a church, 
And as individuals, we are to act and, and, and say and do the things that we're commanded to in Scripture. The, the word obedient here in this passage takes on a whole new meaning. Why? Because it's a direct reflection of the obedience that Christ displayed by going to the cross and forgiving us. I've come to realize that we have a choice to act in evil or in goodness. Right? To act with our sinful motives or, or with what God calls us to do. We have a choice in that. Who we are determines what we do. And the result will either be Christ-like character or Satan-like character. And that's scary. Unforgiveness, church, has devastating and life-altering consequences. Which leads me to probably one of the hardest portions today is the second thing I want you to see is that there is no excuse to not forgive. There's no excuse to not forgive. You know, the servant in the text in, in Matthew chapter 18, he said that he owed his master 10,000 talents. Now, how much is that? Right? Because they don't use the same uh, money counting skills that we do and have. Right? So I want to put it this way. The lowest estimates by, by some of the great theologians, the lowest estimates have this in the millions. That he owed his master millions of dollars. Where, where most theologians agree that it's somewhere in the billions that he owed, that he owed his master. Billions and billions of dollars. Right? The, the point is, is that what he owed was unable to truly be calculated. Right? It was beyond estimation. He could never pay it back. And even though he said he could, I'm going to flip back there. and You don't have to turn back there with me. But I want to read to you something. He said this in verse 25. He said, and since he could not pay his master, he, was ordered, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. And listen to this. So the servant fell at his knees, imploring with him to have patience, and he will pay back everything. And he, he couldn't pay it back. And look what happens in verse 27. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. Christian, church, do you not see that if you are a child of God, that God has forgiven you what you and I could never repay? You've been forgiven. How could we even begin to try and pay or even work off our sin debt? We can't. We can't. You know, there are so many people who when they're first convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin, they try to cut a deal with God. You can't cut a deal with God. We're just like the guy here in the text. We're hopeless. We're helpless. Unless we have the compassion of Christ. That's it. Christ accepted and assumed the responsibility of your debt and my debt. You know, he, he took the loss 
But most importantly, he absorbed the punishment for each one of us. You know, the the servant in the text goes free because of an act of mercy and, and grace and compassion. And so have we. We each get to walk free from our, our old sinful self because of what Christ did on the cross. But I've also come to learn that an unforgiving person is usually an unforgiven person. Now before you jump all over me, I want to explain what I mean by that. This passage of scripture here is dealing with our relationship to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You know, our fellowship with one another and and how we treat those people in that family. If you won't forgive, or if we make excuses as to why we won't forgive, it just may be this morning that you yourself have never really experienced the forgiveness of God. You've never experienced the forgiveness of God. And if you have never experienced the forgiveness of God, uh, I want you to know that you can do that. You can experience the forgiveness of God by crying out to Him. Believing in the death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul said, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, And I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a few minutes if that's you. But I want to to close. I want to close the service really to start preparing us for next week. I, uh, I was reading probably about three or four weeks ago from the Christian Research Institute on the topic of forgiveness and, um, They had interviewed some 25,000 individuals and they compiled some stats together. Those who labeled themselves as Christian and attended church more than two times a month. And they gave the, the top five reasons that Christians give for why they refuse to forgive. And I want to read these to you. The number five reason was that the problem was too big. The problem was too big. Now I've come to find out as I've studied scripture that the bigger the problem, the more important it is to let it go. The number four reason was that time will take care of it. Church, I don't want to offend anybody here, but time heals nothing. Time heals nothing at all. Time just creates bitterness and grudges within the heart of man. The number three reason is when that person comes to me and says that I'm sorry, then I will forgive them. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but they're probably not coming. They're probably not coming. The number two reason was that I can't forgive if I can't forget. Man, it really works like you can't forget until you forgive. I 
Testament, it was Paul who said, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what comes next. He said, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3. Man, probably one of the most difficult ones. The number one reason that if I forgive them, they're going to do it again. If I forgive them, they're going to do it again. What did Jesus say to Peter? Seventy times seven. What was he really trying to say that day? What was he really trying to say? In all of my study of, of scripture and, and reading the original Greek language and, and studying every word, I honestly believe that Jesus was saying that no one who has been truly forgiven is going to keep a record of someone else's wrong. Nobody. And so I have a question this morning. Who's on your unforgiven list? Who's on your unforgiven list? Who is it that's hurt you? That's done something to you? That's said something about you? That you haven't let go? You've held on to it? Who's on your unforgiven list this morning? Balcony, who's on your unforgiven list? Online, who's on your unforgiven list? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you in this place. And there are not adequate words, Lord, to even express how thankful we are for the forgiveness that you have given to us. God, it's so difficult to give situations and circumstances over to you when they have caused and inflicted pain in our life or in the lives of those who are close to us. And Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm asking um, that you would give us the strength to be um, ambassadors for Christ. That when things occur in this life, that we have the strength, the Holy Spirit power and strength to say, forgive them. Forgive them. God, I'm, I'm asking of you to do miraculous work here in our lives as we learn to process forgiveness, as we, as we learn to walk through forgiveness, as we, as we learn to turn to you and your truth in every situation, in every circumstance. God, guide us. Guide us. If you would please stay in an attitude of prayer for just a moment. I said I was going to give you an opportunity. If you've never received the forgiveness of Christ, maybe you're in here right now and you you've never been quote-unquote forgiven by Christ meaning that you've not come into the saving knowledge of his grace the freedom that comes from from our past sins the forgiveness that comes by his hand the eternal life that happens because of his death burial and resurrection 
and you're in here and you're like, I want to experience that in my life. I want to experience that freedom that comes. If that is you, there's no certain words that you have to say and pray. You cry out to God asking for, for His forgiveness, for Him to rescue and save you. Telling Him that you believe that He came and lived a sinless life and that He died on the cross for our sins and that He was buried and rose again on that third day and now He sits at the right hand of the Father. You don't have to, you don't have to jump up and shout your name and you don't have to come forward and tell me all your sins. Your salvation is, is, is between you and the Lord and it happens in an instant and it's lived out over the rest of, of your time here on this earth. And so if that's you, you don't have to wait. You can cry out to Him right now. And maybe you're in here and you're like, Pastor, I know that I'm a Christian. Nobody's looking around. If, if you would, please, please be respectful of the people around you. I have a question this morning. How many of you in here, like, like me, are struggling with forgiveness? Not a, I'm not asking your situation. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm struggling right now, Pastor. Just, just raise it up because I want to be praying with you. I want to be praying for you. There's hands all over this room. I'm struggling with forgiveness in some way. My challenge to you would be to press into the Lord. Heed the words that have been spoken today and, and more to come. And begin to, to process them. One of the things that I have learned through this entire process is, is that forgiveness is a process. It takes time. Now I just have a question. Is there anyone in here... Um, who would be willing to make eye contact with me saying, I, I prayed for salvation this morning. I prayed for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to be able to rejoice with you. Um, so if that's you, front to back, balcony, if that's you, would you just look up at me? Will you just make eye contact with me? I'm not going to make, make anything weird or kind of crazy. I just, I want to be able to rejoice with you. If that's you, will you just look at me? Thank you. Thank you.